0: We are in Ephesians chapter 3. Um, if you haven't been with us over the last several, couple months, several months, we have been walking our way through the book of Ephesians. And it is a glorious book. It's a, it's a, a book penned by the Apostle Paul, and it's all about the church. So it's really appropriate for a church to hear about the church from God, and so let's do that this morning as we <clears throat> excuse me, dive into chapter three, starting with verse 14. You can read it right behind me. it's also printed in your bulletin this morning if you want to read, read it there. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. It would be helpful if I had my sermon up here. (laughs) Sorry about that. Uh, Yeah. There it is. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> the Year of Grace, 1654. Monday, 23rd November, from about half past ten at night until about half past midnight. Fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. Not of the philosophers and of the learned. Certitude. Certitude. Feeling. Joy. Peace. God of Jesus Christ. My God and your God. Your God will be my God. Forgetfulness of the world and of everything. Except God. He is only found by the ways taught in the gospel. Grandeur of the human soul. Righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, 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 tears of joy. I have departed from Him. They have forsaken me, says Jesus, the fount of living water. My God, will you leave me? Let me not be separated from Him forever. This is eternal life, that they know you the one true God and the one that you sent, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. I left Him, I fled Him, renounced and crucified. Let me never be separated from Him. He is only kept securely by the ways taught in the Gospel. Renunciation total and sweet. Complete submission to Jesus Christ and to my Director. Eternally enjoy for a day's exercise on the earth. May I not forget your words Amen. Do you get some of the emotion? This is a recording that was sewn inside the front jacket of a man named Blaise Pascal. Absolutely one of my favorite philosophers of all time. A man who knew the Lord and loved the Lord. One of the greatest thinkers that the world has ever known. And that is uncontested. That's not just by Christian authors. That is by anyone. He was a mathematician. You've heard of Pascal's Wager, perhaps? And yet, what we know of him is that his life was very tepid when it came to Christianity, when it came to his belief about the Bible or about God. It was, he, you know, occasionally attended church, and he had, you know, he, he believed some of the things about the Bible, and as you can see, he had some knowledge of the Scriptures, based upon what he wrote here. But On that night, the year of grace, 1654, from about half past ten at night until about half past midnight, he had an experience of God. He moved this knowledge that he had, an incredibly brilliant man, from the head down into the heart. And here's the thing, he had nothing to do with it. God moved it. God moved it. And God radically changed his life, and he wrote my favorite book of all time. It is, number one, Pascal's Pensees. It is often touted by scholars as the greatest work on apologetics in the history of the world. He wrote it after this experience. But he knew he was going to forget. He knew that his life would go on and that things would get back to normal. and, And so he decided, and I love it, to sew it inside his jacket. So that any time he fell into doubt or any time that he was having troubles or any time that he was not feeling the power of God in his life, he could open it up and be like, I've met God. I have known the living God of the universe in a profoundly real way. Y'all, that is exactly what Paul the Apostle is talking about in this passage this morning. He is saying, church, I am going to pray that you experience God in a profound way so that you have a powerful spiritual life. Now, y'all, people talk about powerful experiences of God all the time. I get that. Right, it's being sold and it's being peddled on the street corner. You get it when you turn your TV on and turn to some of these kind of uh, national programs about you know Christian spirituality or whatever. And you, you, you can find the power of God in your life. You can finally discover what it truly means to know the Lord. Okay, so I understand that, but I'm telling you in this passage this morning, Paul is praying that for the church. And it's different often than what you see peddled from the television. And I'm going to describe to you from this passage why this is different. But y'all, we all, if we're honest, we all need and want these type of powerful experiences of God. To move something, you might have heard of Jesus Christ, you've heard of God the Father, and oh, He's all-powerful and we're going to celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but have you known it down into the depth of your soul? where it literally begins to control your life that's what paul is praying for let's notice a few things about what paul is praying for you have an outline if you're a note taker and you like to take notes um and i even did some alliteration (laughs) strengthened by the spirit in the inner being that's the first point surprised by the love of christ and then finally i have to remember the last one was supplied by the fullness of god Strengthened by the Spirit and the inner being, I assume that's in there. Is that in there? Is that okay? Great. So let's go through these. Let's talk about um, what Paul was doing here, and and we need to look at the very beginning of the passage. He says, "For this reason." Okay. Usually, when someone says "for this reason," there was something that preceded it. Okay, let's talk about what preceded it. It was a digression. We talked about this about three weeks ago, and Paul digressed into this glorious praise of God for the fact that He is showing the entire cosmos the demons, the angels that are out there, the powers on this earth. He is showing them through the church what it means that Christ is unifying the entire universe into himself. God is unifying the entire universe into Jesus Christ, into the fullness of Jesus Christ. And the church is the living, breathing example of that unity. Wow. Wow. And y'all, we're going to see as we dive into chapters 4, 5, and 6 in Ephesians that Paul is going to pile exhortation upon exhortation upon exhortation upon command upon command to be unified. He's going to say, church, love each other. (laughs) like Be really, 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 really unified together. Because this is the display of the truth of what Jesus came to teach on this earth. You are literally going to be a display. But Paul knows, we know, God knows, that piling command upon command or exhortation upon exhortation, do this, be that, do this, be that, does not work any real power into the human heart. It doesn't do it which is why he prays for that power to be a part of these people's lives. He says, if you church are going to have any sort of unity, because as you read the news, the world is divided. Families are divided. Governments are divided. Countries are divided. People are divided. He's like, this is the one place right here, the church, where people are going to be unified. And you obviously, (laughs) because Paul's talked about this before, do not have the power to do that. You are just as sinful. But God can work something amazing in your heart. God can do an amazing work in you. And notice at the beginning of this passage, it says that Paul was on his knees for this prayer. That is extremely unusual. When you prayed at this time, and you read this in Jesus' description of the Pharisees praying on the street corner, you prayed standing, always. That is how a Jewish person prayed. Standing. It was considered actually disrespectful to be on your knees, right? But there is a sense. What Paul is getting across in this passage is that his soul is so burdened and so crushed, and he is so powerfully asking God for this to happen that he's on his knees, that he has bowed his entire body to the floor because he's so desirous that the church of God would experience the power of God. He's on his knees. And he begins to pray, and he says this. He says, Lord, strengthen by your spirit the inner being of the people in the church. He's praying, of course, for the church in Ephesus, but he's praying for the whole church too, right? The church even today, us. So let's dive into this first point. Essentially what Paul is saying is there's got to be prep work that is done in a human heart. There has to be some work that takes place by God's spirit, by God's power for someone to even be able to receive an experience of God. To receive an experience of God. And I've talked about this before, but it bears repeating. He's trying to get across also that it is a gift. It's a gift. When we we are seeking an experience of God, an experience of meeting God, of, of meeting with the living creator of the universe... We don't bring anything with us. We don't bring bargaining chips. We don't bring our good deeds and say, okay, God, now can you bless me? Now that I've kind of got my act together, I've got a steady job going on, I'm trying to love my family well, now let's talk about you coming into my life. That is absolutely not what Jesus teaches, and it's not what Paul's teaching here. It is saying you bring to this experience. If you want to know God, if you want to experience God, you bring nothing. The only thing you bring is your emptiness. And you get to receive from the one who wants to fulfill every single one of your needs. Come, is what Paul is saying. Come, Holy Spirit, and move in people's hearts. And do this preparation work, this this plowing of the field of people's hearts, so that they can meet you, the true and living God. He stands ready to help and to save and to fill and to give and to love. Paul's like, Paul's on his knees. He's on his knees. Holy Spirit, God, give this strength in the inner person of ever I pray this I'm going to pray this every day for this church that this, the holy spirit would come in in such power that you would be strengthened in your inner being to receive what he's about to talk about. He's like, "Okay, this is just the prep work. We're just getting ready for the good stuff." Y'all side point before we get to the, that good stuff part I'm talking about. And this is good stuff too, don't get me wrong. Side little note and I think this needs to be said in the church. I need to say it to myself. I need to say it to us. And I have no idea what your experience in the church or with the church has been. But we, I'm going I'm to self-indict here. We as the church often think that this can be manufactured. That experiences with God can be manufactured. Right? You see them. Right? You get the, the service and everybody's hopping around and music starts to crescendo and it gets louder and louder. You know. And it's like, hey, we can create in this building or whatever, we can create the true spirit of God moving. Not possible. You can't do it. You cannot manufacture it. You cannot Lighting cannot manufacture it. Smoke machines cannot manufacture it. You, you, you cannot, even that concert experience that everybody loves, I love it. You know, you go to a downtown mall and you're in the thing and everybody's jumping around and it, it is pretty awesome. The feeling that you get when everybody's hyped up, it's pretty great. I don't know if you guys have experienced that before, but that is not what Paul's talking about here. He's not like, hey, let's get hyped up on God. He's like, this is going to be a real and a powerful and a life-changing experience with the living God, and it is not something that you can do. You can't do it, but God can, and God will. Okay, sorry, that was a little side point. So Paul prays, he's on his knees, he prays for the strengthening of the, by the Spirit in the inner being of the people. He prays that they would be surprised by the love of Christ. Oh man, this is good stuff. Surprised by the love of Christ. The preparation is by the Spirit alone in the in, in, inner person. Prep for what? What is the Spirit strengthening? Our grasp on the love of Christ or the truth of God. We'll, you can, those are interchangeable. And... The grasp of the truth on us. The word he uses, he says that he may grant you to be strengthened with power in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you might have strength to comprehend. The key phrase here is verse 18 where it says strength to comprehend. The Greek word is katalambano. Katalambano, if you look it up, is used in lots of other places in the New Testament. And most of the other places that it's used, it's used for a surprise attack. It's like they were sitting in their homes and they were sipping tea, having a good afternoon, and then the soldiers came in and they surprise attacked. And they, you know, grabbed them and stuck guns to their head. and They didn't have guns back then. Their equivalent of guns, probably swords or something of that nature. Um, But it's like somebody jumping out from behind a bush. And it's like, ah! Scares you. What do you guys do when you get scared? Scream. Okay, yeah, what else? Flinch? Yeah, you flinch. Your body tenses up. All your muscles, you know. Your senses are heightened, okay? You feel, the, sometimes the hair on the back of your neck will start to stand up, and the blood will rush to your head, and you just feel this, the fright and flight brings in, and your, um, your senses are on extremely high alert, That's what Paul is getting at. He's saying when the truth, the truth especially of the love of Jesus Christ, it sometimes will surprise attack you. And sometimes you'll surprise attack it when you're studying it. And it will raise every little hair on your body. That's what Blaise Pascal was describing happened to him. You like the word he starts with in his experience of God that night in 1654? He says, fire! That's the only word he can use for it. He can't even find the right thing to describe it because it is something that is so powerfully happening in his life. I guarantee the hair on the back of his neck was standing up. All of his senses were fully engaged. He could taste, he could touch, he could smell in a heightened sense. And guess what happens when that happens to a human being? It locks in. It locks in. The psychologist will tell you this, right? The psychologist will tell you this, especially when it happened when you were a kid. Right? If your dad called you a houseplant when you were young or your first boyfriend or girlfriend on the playground said you were ugly or you had an experience where someone deeply like rejected you you tasted, you felt, I put another one on here. Or when your brother told you he wanted to drown you and pushed your head under till you literally could not breathe. <laughs> In those moments, all of your senses were engaged. When a parent said a word to you that fled down into the depth of your soul and you feel it even today, it locked in. It locked in. And guess what happens when it locks in? When it's both from the head, somebody says something to you and your emotions feel it powerfully, it locks in and guess what? It controls you. It's controlled you your whole life. You know exactly what I'm talking about. There are phrases from your parents or from teachers or from coaches that locked into your life and you feel the power of them even today. Your anxiety level will raise and you don't know why when you're interacting with other people and you're like, okay, maybe I can trace it back to something that was locked in back then. And Paul is saying, I am on my knees. I am on my knees before the God of the universe and I'm praying that the love of Jesus Christ would lock into your life. And when it gets locked in, y'all, it is powerful control. It has the opposite effect of all those negative things you feel from your friends or your parents or the people that have said things in your life. It may have been last week. It may have been your boss that locked something in last week about your performance or something along those lines. But Paul is saying the counterbalance is when God does it and He powerfully locks in the love of Jesus Christ and you're controlled in a direction that is completely different. Instead of anxiety and fear and hopelessness and the desire to be dead, you have love and peace and grace and hope. Life Called Zoe by Jesus in the New Testament. Life, real life. So here's what Paul's praying, and I want to I describe for just a minute this love of God. Paul is praying Holy Spirit, do your preparation work. God, move in and power to people's lives and lock in the love of Christ. And he, just, he says, I want these people to know the depth, the breadth, the height, the width of the love of Christ. Because it's so powerful. It's so powerful. When it gets control of your life, it will absolutely revolutionize every aspect of what you think and who you are and how you interact with other people. And Paul knows that. He knows that. He knows unless God does this work and locks in the love of Jesus Christ into people's hearts within the church, they are not going to have the power to be unified. All the stuff we're about to read in chapters 4, 5, and 6 are not going to be possible. Because there has to be this controlling love that is moving through a life. Because, y'all, what Paul's describing with the height, depth, breadth, width, love of Jesus Christ, he's saying the love of Jesus Christ is big. It is big and it is sacrificial. And you have to focus on the story of Jesus Christ, not just the rule book. You have to focus on the story. Of, this is why we do communion every week. You focus on the story of Jesus Christ. Let's talk for just a minute about this love. Let's talk about the width of it. Jesus Christ, he said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people into myself. All. It doesn't matter if you're a murderer. Th- think about this love of Jesus. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter what the sins are that you bring. It, all. All. All people. I will draw unto myself. God, the breadth of Jesus' love is exceptional. That the free offer of the gospel goes out to absolutely every person on the earth and they can respond by God's grace working in their life. It is so wide. It's so wide. You cannot begin to describe the width of it. Okay, length. Let's talk for a minute about the length of the love of Jesus Christ. Before the foundation of the world, the Bible tells us, and we read this just in Ephesians a couple of chapters earlier, before the foundation of the world, God foreloved. They use the word in Ephesians, predestined or foreordained, but it's foreloved. God foreloved those he would know. The length of his love. Jesus knew before the foundation of the world that he was going to be the one who sacrificed himself. And yet he was patient. And yet he still came. He knew he was going to be separated from the Father and he still came. He came for you. This is, that is the length of the love of God, the breadth of the love of God, the length of the love of God. And y'all, I'm just giving some examples, okay? There are so many more aspects to the love of God that I can't cover this morning. I just want to throw out a few examples for us. How about the depth of the love of Jesus Christ? We're about to hop into it in chapter 4 of Ephesians. But basically, it's the idea that Jesus went all the way down for us. Instead of us having to go all the way into the pits, into the depths, into the total and utter separation from God the Father, He went there for us. He was utterly and totally forsaken by His Father. He was the only person that's ever truly experienced it in the depth of their soul, and He did it for us so that we wouldn't have to go for it there. That's the type of love that Jesus has, the depth of His love. He goes all the way down. And then finally, finally it talks about the fact that He had a love Okay, where am I at? Sorry, I lost my... breadth, length, depth, and then finally, height. Height, height. Oh man, this is such a good one. The Bible talks about the fact that we are raised with Christ and that we will reign with Him. We are brought into the very heavens through Jesus Christ because of the sacrifice of what He did. We are raised into the throne room of God. And He says we have full access. He says don't be scared. You come with everything into the throne of Jesus Christ and you can make your petitions there and God's grace will continue to flow on top of you. That is the height of Jesus' love. Again, those are but brief examples. His The aspects of his love, I could talk about them for the next 3,000 hours and not even begin to exhaust the love of Jesus Christ for his people. So finally, let's end with this. The, the, third, the third section. We are... Supplied, so we're surprised, Catalambano, we're surprised by the, uh, one little aspect, one little aspect I want to talk about. Surprised by the love of Jesus, the truth. It's this idea of it is both head and heart. I just want to remind us of that. Some people, again, a little side note, some people think, or it's been taught in Christianity for centuries, that the experience of God or the experience of the truths of Scripture, it, it's something that's not through the intellect. That it's just like you just feel it, right? You just, something just comes upon you. And there's, but that is not at all what Paul is saying here. He's like, these tr- it's the truth of Scripture, the, 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 um, the words of Scripture that the Spirit uses and then, and then locks them into our heart. So the Bible is always clear. The emotions and the intellect are intimately tied with one another. You cannot separate the two. There's not spiritual experience outside of the truth of God. Just a reminder, just a little side note, um, because it's it's something that it's easy to get a little off off base with uh, for folks. Okay, so finally, supplied with the fullness of God. The implication in Ephesians is that believers that encounter this love of Christ by God's work in their life, that they will be filled with love. Because earlier in Colossians, Paul wrote Colossians also, he said that Jesus Christ is the fullness of God. So when you experience the love of Jesus Christ in your own life, you are experiencing the fullness of God in your life. And when you are filled in that way, you are then able to love sacrificially. When I hear the term sacrificial love, I squirm. I just do. Because I'm like, I like to love people. Want a piece of gum? Let me check my pack. I've got six pieces left, If I have three more this afternoon. You know what? Yeah. You can have a piece of gum. That's what I prefer when it comes to love, right? And we all do, right? It's like, hey, can I borrow your truck? Uh, yeah. What day were you thinking? How long were you thinking? You know, what do you think you need? You know, what, it doesn't matter. Can, can I come over to your house for five minutes? Yeah. Can I give you four? We, I mean, we're all there. Sacrificial love makes us squirm because we know it means giving up of the self and oh my goodness, I love myself. And the Bible's like, give that up. And I'm like, no, thank you. Sure. But what Paul is trying to express here is that when that love of Jesus gets locked in, down in the soul, we tend to not think of love as being sacrificial. It just flows. It's, it's a, that's the word he's trying to get across. It's a fullness when you're full of something, like you have a glass of water or of milk or something that's totally full. My kids like to fill it to the very top. It Just naturally, as you kind of shuffle it around a little bit, it just starts to spill out and I'll get all over the counter and all over the floor, right? You, you're, you're just full. And so when it comes to sacrificial love, it's like somebody can just shake us. And it's like, oh, sure, I'll do that. You know, like, hey, hey, I need you for, absolutely, what, what can I help you with? You want me to come over at midnight? Boom. Love it. Let's do it. I'm a 2 a.m. friend. How many 2 a.m. friends do you have? Have you thought about that? How many 2 a.m. friends do you have? No, seriously, think about it. And think about this, too, because Paul's talking about fullness here. Are you a 2 a.m. friend to anyone? Is there, is there someone in your life that could easily and then gladly call you at 2 a.m. and you'd be like, I'm there. I'll be at your house in five minutes. I don't care what the crisis is. I'm ready for that kind of sacrificial love because the fullness of God has filled Me up. A couple of applications. A couple of applications, y'all. On behalf of the American Church, I repent. We're more a place of division than of unity. And the and the people are too. So (laughs) you guys might be able to join me in that same phrase. Um. I know those are bold words, but they come uh, from my own failure, not just the failure of others. You know, the church, the church in its desire to do good things, and it, it, the desires are often good and right, but it, it gets caught up in trying to manufacture true spiritual power in life and then try to monetize it. And we've all experienced it and seen it. And it, it burns us all. It burns me. Um, I just want to put that out there. But and I, and I want to assure you also on the same note that this is real. It's not, I'm not peddling anything this morning. What Paul is on his knees and what he is talking about, locking through emotion deep within your soul, the truths of Jesus Christ's love is real. People have experienced it throughout history. You may have had experience yourself along those lines. I also promise to pray this constantly for our church. That, that God would do this kind of work in us. Not just so that, hey, hey that's a neat church. You know, it, it's not just so you can be like, hey, aren't we good? Aren't we cool? God, God's really working in here. There's powerful movements of God's spirit in there. Absolutely not. Paul's like, look, the whole point of all this is so that we would be unified. It's so that the world out there looking would be like, I don't know what's going on there, but my goodness, those people love each other. It's really kind of crazy. And even the angels and demons will be like, that is incredible. (laughs) Is that the kind of unity that we're going to experience one day, even though we fight with each other now? With God's help, watch us. Watch us as we display to the world. I remember this one time when I was in college. Except for college kids here today. And we were in Colorado, and we were there in the summer. It was beautiful. And I was in the little room that had been assigned to me in this condo that we were staying in. It was a vacation with my family. And I was at a, in a really good spiritual place in my life. And I was reading the Bible or a devotional thought on the Bible, and and I just had one of those moments. It wasn't nearly as powerful as what Paul's describing, but it was just just a quick wash of the love of Jesus Christ, the love of God. And I, and I remember literally just jumping out of the bed and running into the kitchen and doing the dishes. <laughs> but y'all, and, 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 and I'll never forget the reaction of my family. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I and mean, they were legitimately worried. Like what type of drug are you taking? But the reality was God knows Paul knows. Maybe some of you've experienced it in your life. That love of God, it leads to action. When it gets down in there, when it locks in, you you just jump up. You just it's not a burden. It's just And y'all, I was a college student. I never did dishes, ever. I mean, I think my mom had asked me at least 20 times if I would do the dishes. But I was your classic, maybe not y'all. I mean, y'all are different, of course. (laughs) I was your classic college student. You know, I did not do the family dishes. I just didn't, I hated that task. I would do lots of other things before I would do that. But again, my prayer is that God would do this work. That he would begin to unlock some of the hateful, hurtful, emotional things that we have down in our heart and take those away and that He would begin to take the love of Jesus Christ and lock that in its place and that our actions as a people with one another would reflect that more than this. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I, I need this message. I need, I need you. I need an experience of you. I need the fullness of you. I need the grace of you. And I know that there are others in here in this room that need the exact same thing. Lord, we have a lot of junky stuff locked in in our hearts. But I pray this morning, Lord, and I pray next week, and I pray this week, and I pray each and every day that you would continually lock in the love of Jesus Christ into the very depth of our soul. That we would find, like Paul said, that the love of Jesus Christ compels us. That it controls us. And that our unity would be a thing of beauty. We know, God, we know we can't do it. We have nothing to offer this process, but we pray that you would do it, that you would move, that you would work, that you would bring down your Holy Spirit. We trust your word. And so we trust that as we pray, that you will provide a true experience of yourself. And We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.